A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It is a beautiful morning. The sun is streaming in through the windows of the studio today. Some would have you believe there are dark clouds on the horizon. But I'm here to tell you this morning that it's all going to be okay. All we have to do is to continue to hold the government's feet to the fire and make sure they do what they promised they would do once the vaccine gets to enough people. We know that that's what Boris Johnson wants to do. We know uh, that sage scientists are trying uh, to convince him that we should keep the lockdown for as long as physically possible because of course we might end up as you heard Brendan O'Neill say just before the news with Julia Hartley Brewer uh, having some form of risk my goodness me we might catch something if we walk outside my goodness me if you get on the tube you might catch something you might catch something if you go on a plane you might catch something uh, if you go and play tennis you might catch something if you go and watch football coming up this morning we're joined by John Rental, chief political commentator at The Independent we'll get his take uh, on this week in politics another bad one for Sir Keir Starmer I'd have to say and also on the big debate hosted by me between Peter Hitchens and Dan Hodges in our TV studios that is now available for you to watch after this show of course uh, on YouTube 0344 uh, also, he's also got something to say uh, about what happens next for Nigel Farage because the May elections look as if they are going to go ahead. The question is going to be, uh, how is the Reform UK party going to do? We're also talking NHS reform this morning with the news that four and a half million people are on a waiting list for routine procedures. Nearly 250,000 of those have been waiting more than a year and millions more are stuck on painkillers and broken promises. Surely it is now time to cure the health service and we'll find out how uh, with Christian Nimitz from the IEA uh, who wrote a piece earlier this week suggesting, horror of horrors, that the NHS might not actually be that efficient. I think he's right. I want to hear from you, of course, because your stories and your experiences of what's happened to the NHS and how you've been dealt with by the NHS uh, are required listening this morning. 0344 499 1000. Coming up later on, we're joined by Dr. Rakiba San from the Henry Jackson Society. He's warning of the threat of hard left extremism in this country, not least as it pertains to Sadiq Khan and his crusade against the statues and the street names of the capital city here in London. It's also more bad news for car drivers as it looks like Grant Schatz's plans for a £27 billion road improvement and expansion scheme aren't actually going to happen. Well, how surprising is that? Plus, it's Friday, so it's time for the Perrier Awards, an homage to my brilliance in broadcasting this week with Marta Malagon. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest-growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Welcome to Friday morning. Another scintillating week here at the Independent Republic. It really has been quite remarkable. An awful lot going on, an awful lot of great calls, an awful lot of really interesting pieces of information uh, have crossed the desk and gone out to the big wide world. Let's kick off this morning, Mr John Rental, Chief Political Commentator at the Independent. Very good morning to you, John. Good morning, Mike. Congratulations on the uh, great debate between uh, Dan Hodges and Peter Hitchens. I did enjoy that. Well, I'm very glad that you did. Some people have expressed a surprise uh, that shouty talk radio has actually managed to produce something where nobody's actually shouting. And I've been saying this for quite a long time, that we can actually do that. Um, But I knew that because we were remotely doing it and we didn't have people physically in the studio, I would have to do it in that kind of presidential style, give them times. Otherwise, they've just been talking over each other the whole time. 
Yeah, no, it was very restrained, and they both behaved behaved impeccably. I thought I was amazed. Uh, I was amazed that they did. In fact, at one point, I did say to them, "Look, rather than you talking over each other, if you want to say something, please put up your hand." And there's there's a shot of Peter Hitchens with his hand in the air, which I think should probably go down somewhere in posterity as, as something you've never ever seen before. <laughs> but I was interested in your comments as well because you had a view on it, which I'd like to hear, and also you had a view on what Peter was saying to Dan about. The, the the phrase uh, lockdown denier yeah no i mean i don't like lockdown denier and uh, i i upset uh, dan by uh, t- telling him off for using it because yes. i mean i th- i think there is a there is a subliminal association with with holocaust denier i, I i've never liked uh, climate change denier mm. uh, climate denier um i just think I, I just think we just need to use terms which which aren't uh, possibly loaded but uh, I was I was only saying that to to, to wind uh, Dan up because actually I, I agreed with him. I thought he he won the debate uh, hands down. I thought I thought Peter was was vague and uh, and hopeless. Although he was, you know, he was. He I was think that's very strong. harsh. I wouldn't say he was vague and hopeless. I would say that uh, uh, that Dan. Because, of course, Dan makes out that he's more virtuous because he's completely flipped his view 180 degrees. Some of the stuff he was well, writing back in the summer of last year makes Peter Hitchens look very calm and sensible when it comes to being a lockdown denier. Well, there's a lot to be said for changing your mind because uh, that, that means you, you have actually looked at the evidence and, uh, and shown yourself to be flexible. And if you change your mind from being wrong to being right, then I think that's uh, something you should yes. be... But I'm always Actually, slightly suspicious of, of, of sort of fundamentalists, if you like, you know, people who are so uh, in favour of something who then become completely the opposite and then so in favour of something else. I'd rather have my approach, which is far calmer uh, and more moderate, <laughs> in which I can say I can understand both sides of the argument. My, my argument against lockdowns has never been that they don't work, but it has been that basically they cause an awful lot of collateral damage, which I think is a sensible remark to make because it's true. Well, you and I are both uh, calm and, and, and moderate, Mike. Indeed, but, indeed uh, we are. I, I, I have to say that I thought Dan, Dan Hodges was calm and moderate throughout that debate and that he had the better arguments. He was, he was much more specific, whereas uh, Peter Hitchens always starts off with a, good, with a good line, but it's really it's no more than a slogan, which is that he's, he's just asking the question, which is a classic uh, conspiracy theorist. Yeah, but he's not a conspiracy theorist and he's asking the right question and he's not getting any answers. Dan didn't answer any of the questions, did he? Uh, Yes, he did, actually. Uh, No, my point is that that Peter Hitchens starts off by saying, well, is was the response to coronavirus proportionate? Yeah. Now, that's a very interesting question and a very important question. And he didn't even begin to answer it, I'm afraid. Well, I think, I think um, as well as that, though, he did say in response to your comments that, you know, he's been making that case for about a year. And if you are one of those who follows him, you will know what his, his arguments are. And I think he's probably no, quite he right. Have any no, he doesn't. He just repeats the same old slogans. He doesn't. He never develops the argument. He, I mean, if, well, if a bit he's like the government, for... then who keeps saying, you yeah. know, save the NHS, <laughs> protect the NHS, you know, save lives, stay home. No. Don't go outside. You might kill someone. You mean that argument? No, the uh, the uh, the government's uh, uh, policy is based on an assessment of the of the facts. Now, if if Peter Hitchens wants to disagree with that, he has to explain in some detail why it's wrong, uh, and he never does. All he does is ask questions. Uh, well, he, well to be fair, he's been on this show every Monday for about a year, and he has explained yeah. quite a lot of his arguments quite uh, in fulsome detail. No, I don't think he has. To be honest, Mike, he, all he's done is say he doesn't like what the government's done. And if you press him on what the alternative is, uh, you never get. No, I mean he he's never, no, he's never had. A, he's never come up with an alternative. That's true. Um, but I do think well, that. that well, but I do think that it's wrong to to go into an argument like this with the view that you're right and somebody else is wrong. And I think Dan well, Hodges no, and Dan Hodges did that. Um, you know, a debate, as you well know, John, is a debate. It's not about trying to yeah. win somebody over or pin somebody down and hoist a flag at the end of it and go, I won, I won. You yeah. know, the point is, is that Dan Hodges was asked several times not to use the phrase COVID denier, and uh, lockdown denier. Yeah. He refused, not only did he refuse, he's a bit like Boris Johnson with Scottish nationalists, you know. I mean, I, I, I did at one point wonder whether I should intervene like Mr. Speaker and say, come on, just stop using that phrase, you know, but he wouldn't do it, you know. <laughs> distraction and a waste of time as, as i said i don't like the term but it is not substantive and the point is it's no use peter hitchin just sitting there complaining about the terms that, that, that dan hodges was using he never actually responded to dan hodges arguments 
Uh, and I'm afraid, uh, you know, well, I mean, obviously, I would say that I agree with Dan Hodges. Uh, other people will have watched it and they they love Peter Hitchens and they, they agree yeah, with him. Yeah, I mean, but I think, uh, but I think equally, lot... but equally, the most most important people uh, whose whose um, influence I care to uh, to, to sort of uh, counter and to try and encourage are those people who are not sure what what the answer is, because I think most yeah. of the country is unsure of what to do. Most of the country is not happy with the situation we, are, we find ourselves in. But an awful lot of people, and a growing number now, are asking the question, why with, with the vaccination rollout programme going as well as it is, are we not hearing more about what we're going to do? Well, because the government doesn't want to make uh, promises that it's, uh, it's, it's later held to, because the situation might change in ways it hasn't expected. I mean, I think that is perfectly reasonable. And I think, I think you're reasonable... Uh, person who doesn't know uh, very clearly what they think will accept that. I think uh, I think the government gets a lot of benefit of the doubt. But I think I think anyone who didn't know what they thought watching that debate would have uh, would have been disappointed with Peter Hitchens because he was unable to come up, as you said, with an alternative. It, it is not clear. He wasn't Peter actually Hitch asked to come up with an alternative. Nobody asked him that. Well, yeah, but it's it's incumbent on him uh, criticizing the government's uh, lockdown policy to say what the government should have done instead. And he, ne he never does that. And, and that's the absolute weakness in this case. And I would have been embarrassed if I'd been uh, a Peter Hitchens. Well, I'm, ha I'm so sorry to tell you that, that, that you are very much uh, on the side of those in the minority on this, because most people who watched it thought that he won it. So uh, I guess we'll just have well, to leave that <laughs> yeah, there. No, uh, we'll uh, wait have, a minute, Mike. We'll I just mean, have to leave that there. Watched it, maybe, but that's a self-selecting audience who, who, who come well, to Well, there's 80,000 people have watched it so far on YouTube. Well, 80,000 people have watched it so far on YouTube. And yeah, well, I'm sorry. But, and and, and no, practically all of them think that Dan Hodge is lost. That's not a representative sample. And public opinion, as we've discussed endlessly uh, on your show, public opinion is very much uh, of the view that the lockdown was not severe enough uh, and that the government should have gone much further. Well, you further. keep telling me that, but as, you, but as you've just said, it depends on what sample you use, because I did a poll no. yesterday uh, with 28,000 people who answered it on Twitter, 81% uh, of whom yeah. wanted the that's economy not... to be opened up. Now, you're going to say, oh, well, that's not, not representative. Uh, no, no, Mike, that is, not a, that is a self-selecting group of people on Twitter, which is, which is unrepresentative to start really? with. OK, so, so, it's, so, it's, so it's less representative. To... Hang on. So it's less representative than 2,000 people rung up by YouGov and asked if they wouldn't mind taking part in some surveys that we don't even know. Yes, ab ab absolutely it is. An opinion poll conducted by a reputable opinion polling company. Right. Uh, which you, Why do which, they keep getting it wrong then? They got it wrong on we, Brexit. They got it wrong we, on, on Theresa May. They got it wrong on Donald Trump. A sample that represents the, the whole population. That is the, that is the only way of, uh, of, of assessing what public opinion really is. The fact that occasionally uh, they don't get an election quite right is, is due to the fact that... Quite, what what you mean wrong? Often be when you say not part. quite right, do you mean wrong? <laughs> no, I don't. They got don't. it wrong. No, they didn't. They got it within the margin of error, and you know, within within a few percentage points is is much better than a self-selected Twitter poll. I see. All right. Well, I mean, you can have your view, and I will continue to have mine, John. But every time I ask anybody anything which I think they <laughs> agree with me on, they always do. So you know, what can I tell you? <laughs> I mean, that's like you saying. I mean, I find it quite insulting actually that you make out that everyone that listens to that, to, to this show uh, it thinks the same way because they don't. I absolutely do not. No, but I. Is, I, I think there is a tendency among listeners to your show, Mike, to uh, to, to, to be to, to be people who are sceptical of lockdowns, put it that way. Well, why shouldn't they be? Because let's face it, uh, as we're going to be talking about later on today, the state of the NHS is an absolute shambles. Now, you can say that yes. we've spent last year saving it, but if we've spent Sorry, last but... year saving the NHS, right, four and a half million people are on a waiting list. Many of those have been on a waiting list for over a year because of what's happened with the lockdown. Yeah, no, because of what's happened with coronavirus. Now, if you... No, and Peter it's Hitch... bad management in the NHS has caused a big policy. problem. No, if you and Peter Hitchens want to suggest an alternative policy which would have resulted in more people catching coronavirus... More people having to go to hospital. No, that's not the no, choice, though. You see, again, you're making people choose something which isn't actually there. I'm not saying that the alternative would be better because it would cause more people to die. But what was the point of, for example, making space in the Nightingale hospitals, which was never used? And I'm not accepting the fact that, oh, well, we didn't have enough nurses. You know, if they hadn't sent so many nurses home because of the COVID uh, 
track and trace system, they would have been able to work in the Nightingale hospitals. You know, there's any number of different uh, arrangements that could have been made, but they weren't made. And therefore, the lockdown has affected an awful lot of people who are going to die and become very sick indeed because they couldn't get treatment. Yeah, absolutely. But it seems like your alternative policy was to fill the uh, Nightingale hospitals with with extra coronavirus patients. You don't know that. That's Uh, not what I said. They should have. Well, well they should have used. Point. No, they should have used the capacity, right? For treat, they yeah. could have used that that capacity for treating different people who didn't have COVID. You know, I'm not a doctor. I don't make these decisions. But what I do know is that they had extra capacity, which they didn't use. Extra, well, they had extra bed space, but they didn't have extra staff. I mean, I don't know. Where yeah, but that's the, but that's because the NHS is very badly run, surely. Well, that's a completely separate argument as to what your response well, to coronavirus. Well, no, everything is related, John. I mean, the people who are who are dying because they can't get treatment on the NHS because of coronavirus and the way that the NHS pivoted to to treat only people with coronavirus is a factor yeah. of lockdown. In the same way that people who have no, lost their livelihood, people who have lost <laughs> their livelihoods, who can't make any money and who are now basically on the dole, is an, is another no. is another collateral damage of lockdown. Hang on. So you're saying the lockdown actually sent more people into into hospital and forced the NHS to treat them rather than uh, people no, who weren't. Not, no, that's not, not, not at all what I'm saying. I'm saying people haven't been treated because they haven't gone to hospital. And that has caused an awful lot of pain, <laughs> anguish and death of people with coronavirus. Now, you could say that the NHS ought to have had, you know, say twice the capacity before before coronavirus, before you know, a year ago, the NHS ought to, ought to have been twice as big. Uh, yeah, that would have been lovely. Um, but all right. Well, I, well let, let me put it to you this way, John. Why did they? Why did they shrink the size of the number of beds? They said they had to do it in order to make people socially distance in wards, right? However, the most yeah. likely place to catch coronavirus is guess where? In a hospital. Yeah, so, so, so they took so they took beds away, and people still well, got no, infected. No, you're now suggesting that they shouldn't have separated uh, the beds. Well, it didn't do any good, did it? It didn't do any good. They increased the number of people in hospital catching coronavirus. This is making no sense whatsoever. Well, it doesn't make sense to you. It makes a lot of sense to a lot of people, John. The point is you can't have it both ways. You can't say, one, we haven't got enough staff, but two, we've reduced the number of beds and therefore we can't treat as many people. So what are the extra staff doing (laughs) when they would have been treating the other people in the other beds that aren't any longer there? What... (laughs) Well, I'm I'm not privy to the exact deployment of staff. Indeed. In, 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 yes, but all, all I know is the reason those those Nightingale facilities weren't used uh, was because uh, the, the lockdowns uh, probably worked and and reduced the numbers of people going into into hospital. Oh, I'm sorry. The, I thought the NHS was being overwhelmed every day. No, well, the NHS was never never overwhelmed. Oh, thank right. goodness. Okay. But, uh, Staff shortages were presumably caused by the fact that an awful lot of staff were off sick with coronavirus. Well, some were, but more than the ones who were off sick were the ones who were told to stay home because they might have been near the ones that were off sick. But I still maintain that more than 26,000 people last year were infected by coronavirus in hospital. So whatever measures measures they took to stop that from happening didn't work. Well, yeah, but your answer to that is not to send uh, staff home to isolate if there's a risk. So you're saying they should have carried on working and infecting more patients. No, you in, don't know that. How, how could they in, infect more patients? They've already infected all the patients who were there. They can only well, infect the, num- the number no. of people who were there. No, you're, you're, you're now just exaggerating for effect. They, they, you know, Never. They, they... <laughs> don't be ridiculous. You're, I'm afraid you and Peter Hitchens and all the rest of them... Yeah, so are you're doing are... the Dan Hodges trick of lumping everybody together. I might as well lump you together with Jeremy Corbyn. And that wouldn't be fair, would it? Well, like... Okay, you, Mike, are now arguing that uh, that more people should have been allowed to catch coronavirus. And uh, no, that's not what I'm arguing. Absolute rubbish. Yes, have just coped with it. No, that's not what I'm arguing. I'm saying that whatever measures they took didn't work, so you might as well not have bothered. But here's here's my final point to you. No, 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 no. You can't say the measures didn't work. Obviously, they didn't work as well as they might have. Well, twenty six thousand people getting infected with COVID in hospital is not a great look, as far as I'm concerned. Mike, you do not know what would have happened if those measures hadn't taken place. It, it probably would have been much, much well, none worse. None of us can make an argument based on what might have happened. I mean, that's the trouble with you can. lot. You lot make <laughs> arguments about what would have happened if we hadn't done it. Of course you can, because there's a lot of evidence of how no, coronavirus works, And people understand Rubbish. that. Well, Absolute nonsense. <laughs> I mean, in that case, why haven't any supermarket workers been infected with it? 
Why didn't all the people who went out to pubs get infected with it? No, so, I mean, you know, all, all the occupational evidence is that people who come into contact with a lot of other people in the course of their work are more likely to get... Well, that's not true. In certain situations. Up. In hospital, for sure. Anyway, listen, I'm getting told off by Martin because we've been raving on about this for far too long. I was supposed to be talking to you about the state of the nation, not the bleeding hospital problem. But let me ask you one final well, question, John. One final question. Is Keir Starmer going to self-isolate again after his massive blunder yesterday, taking a picture of himself meeting up with a load of union chiefs uh, in a room that he could have done on Zoom and then deleting the picture and putting out another one with him wearing a mask? <laughs> I, mean, you know. I didn't know. I did. I did see that picture, but I mean, they were socially distanced, but it didn't look like a well-ventilated room. Well, I you've to just say. told me that people catch COVID in situations where they mix close together. Yeah, I think that's right. And uh, but I mean, I don't know how long he was in that room for. If it was just in in and out to take the picture, then that's that's probably. Fine. I don't think 15. he's ever in any room for a short period of time, Keir Starmer. It takes him too long to say everything. <laughs> anyway, look, I've got to run. Great to talk to you, John. Thank you very much indeed. John Rental, Chief Fiscal Commentator at The Independent. I don't think we're ever going to agree on any of that. Uh, I'm not quite sure whether anything was achieved there, but it was very enjoyable nonetheless. This is Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We've got lots to talk about throughout the course of the day here, of course, uh, because it is Friday. We're going all the way to the Perrier Awards as well before Ian Collins comes in. But how about this, right? Uh, we've been talking about the NHS there with John Rental, uh, who doesn't agree with me about very much of anything at all. 4.52 million people on waiting lists for routine procedures such as hip and knee operations, the highest number since records began in 2007, which, of course, is when the Labour Party were in charge, right? Nearly a quarter of a million have been waiting for more than a year. Many are stuck in limbo, reliant on painkillers and unable to get on with day-to-day -day family life or work. It is absolutely imperative, I say, that the NHS is reformed. And I need to hear from you. A lot of you have already called in to talk to us about uh, the NHS and your experiences of it, because many people who use the NHS think it's great. But an awful lot of people realise how very sort of um, unwieldy it is, like an oil tanker, how difficult it can be to get a proper appointment, how difficult it can be even right now to see a general practitioner, a GP. Let's talk now to Dr Christian Nimitz, uh, Head of Political Economy at the Institute of Economic Affairs. He wrote a paper a little bit earlier on this week which caused ructions amongst those who think that the NHS is some kind of religion. Christian, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning, Mike. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. You really uh, sort of set the cat amongst the pigeons earlier this week, I was pleased to see, because I'm with you uh, on the idea that lots of parts of the NHS are simply not fit for purpose. Yes, that's right. Um, I mean, I get this response every time I write about the NHS. Um, I, I was not entirely surprised by the reactions. It was a bit bigger in scale uh, than normally, but this, this happens every time. There is this... Uh, this defensiveness around the NHS. I was making a fairly simple point in the report. I was simply saying, if you look at outcomes around the world, there is no reason to believe that the NHS has uh, done a better job than any comparable healthcare system. That's no, all I'm saying. No, quite. But also, I was arguing with John Rensel just before you came on earlier from The Independent, because he's a great defender of the lockdown policy. But I, my belief is, is that during the coronavirus epidemic, which of course has put terrible strain on the NHS, there have been decisions made by the people who run it, which have been wrong. You know, the Nightingale Hospitals, for example, the fact that they were sending loads and loads of people home uh, because they were somehow tracked and traced with people. You know, coronavirus in a hospital uh, should be should be in a hospital. But what it shouldn't be is able to spread in a hospital because they have PPE. They have all sorts of reasons why. And yet they somehow managed to infect 26,000 patients with coronavirus who went into hospital for something else. Yeah, there were lots of health policy decisions that that certainly made things worse, especially early on the decision to shift a lot of older patients into care homes right. without testing them first properly, without making sure that the care homes had the capacity and the means to uh to, for social distancing and protection. And there's lots of those decisions uh, that contributed to the high death toll that we've seen. Of course, defenders would say, yeah, well, that's not the NHS, that's the government's yeah. fault. But I don't think in a system like the one we have, you can so neatly separate the health service from 
the government. Mm. It's a feature of the system we have that political decisions are so important. And if you don't want that to be the case, then you have to make the case for a different system, for a less political and a less politicized system. Yes. A system well, that's, that's, more the, decentralized. that's the tragedy, isn't it? Because the people in this country who are like Angela Rayner, absolutely wedded to the idea that you can't criticize the NHS because it means you're being horrible to nurses, uh, which is such a ridiculous argument. It's not even worth making. Um, but they all think that anything that happens that's good, for example, the, the vaccine rollout, that's all down to the NHS. But anything that happens that's bad, uh, like the number of people dying, is all down to the government. And they don't see any um, irony in that. Yeah, it's very much a form of, of cherry picking. Uh, they're saying the NHS would be perfect if it had the right kind of government, if we had uh, the government that I favour in charge. But that's just the way it works in a democracy. Sometimes you have a government that you don't like. And uh, ideally, then you should make a case for a healthcare system that isn't that dependent on who exactly is in government at any given time. Because we don't see this in other sectors. We don't see, say, oh, the supermarkets are suddenly worse. That must be because we have the wrong government uh, no supermarkets are just run independently and therefore it doesn't matter who's in government well that's right so what are you making then of, of uh, matt hancock and his plans for reform because uh, you know a lot of people are saying this is the wrong time that he should, shouldn't be doing this now but surely now is the right time to do it yeah i skimmed through the white paper yesterday and um What's curious is in one of the first pages, they say the one thing we want to avoid is yet another top down reorganization. And then the rest of the document describes uh, just another top down reorganization. This is mostly just a reversal of the last top down reorganization, the, uh, the Health and Social Care Act of 2012. They're mostly now just reversing that. Um, they are. Uh, dissolving some organizations within the NHS and setting up new ones. But this is this is all rearranging the chairs, the deck chairs on the Titanic. Yes, absolutely right. I mean, as far as looking around the world at other different systems which are used, because you're right to say that very few have copied. Uh, in fact, I don't think any have copied the NHS and the way that it works. Um, and it was set up in a, in a time when we were a very different country with a lot fewer people um, and probably a lot fewer diseases to cope with as well. So, I mean... What would you say is something that they could do quite simply and quite quickly inside the NHS, which would make it more effective? All right. Well, I don't think there's there's any quick solutions. Uh, what I've been saying for for, uh, for for a long time is uh, I'm a fan of the so-called social health insurance system that they have in the Netherlands and Switzerland and various other places, a system of competing insurers and com lots of competing healthcare providers where you have free choice. And if you can't afford your premiums and uh, your, your insurance premiums, the government will pay them for you. Uh, so these are universal um private insurance systems i've been a fan of that type of system for a long time and you could without major disruption uh convert the system we have into a system of that type you would have to introduce free choice of um the so-called clinical commissioning groups, which are these local organizations that allocate NHS funding locally, these are effectively like health insurers already. It's just that right now you have local monopolies everywhere and uh, you can't choose your clinical commissioning groups. I would introduce free choice there mm. and I would also open that up to the private sector. If you want to opt out of NHS commissioning altogether and go for a private alternative, you should be free to do that. Because I understand in places like Germany, there is a much more sort of private public um, sharing of resources and sharing of, of, of jobs, if you like. Because one of the reasons I'm told that the test and trace system worked a lot better in, um, uh, in Germany was because the private laboratories were much more efficient than the public health England laboratories, which were very centrally based and very slow and cumbersome. Yes, that's right. And one of the people who developed uh, the the tests, the the COVID test, made that argument as well. He said he he was uh, he said he was initially working with public health England, saying uh, initially both uh, the German system and the British system were initially on the right track. But what made the difference was that in the German case, it was led by market forces and it was therefore quicker. It was scaled up a lot more quickly, right. so starting from very similar positions. But then because of differences in the way the healthcare systems are organized um, in the German case, they just raced ahead. 
Yes, and I mean, I'm, I'm puzzled as well by the whole Public Health England situation because I seem to remember um, some months ago Matt Hancock getting up in the House of Commons to declare that he was abolishing Public Health England and replacing it with something else, but it still seems to be there. Well, I'm afraid it's still going to be there for quite a while, <laughs> if, if not under that name. But um, you can see this in the, the, the white paper. There are various references to, um, well, nanny state measures as well. So this is just something that one of the problems is that Public Health England the whole time has been more concerned with um, with calorie labeling and advertisement for burgers and, and stuff like that and um, and what they call junk food. And there's quite a bit of that, of this nanny state activism uh, in the white paper as well. I think this is where we will see the next incarnation of Public Health England. But they've been spending more time on that than pandemic preparedness. Mm. And I think that's not going to go away. No, I think they love this idea that they tell people to protect the NHS. I mean, we're never going to lose that now, are we? You know, protect the NHS. Don't drive your car in case you crash it. You know, protect the NHS. Uh, you're OK cycling because that's quite healthy. Uh, protect the NHS. Stop being so obese. I mean, they started that campaign this week. Yeah. And uh, this slogan, stay home, save lives, that was, I, I read a bit about the origin of that. That was uh, a slogan that was widely used. Lots of governments around the world uh, used it. And the peculiarly British version of that was that they had to put in save the NHS. And uh, one of the people who uh, was involved with that campaign then said, well, it, it worked so brilliantly because uh, it had the name of this organization that everybody reveres. Mm. Um Okay, in that particular case, I'd say if, if that's the way to make it work, then who am I to, to criticise? Well, I mean, I th I'm glad you're criticising and I hope you continue to do so. Uh, Dr Christian Nimitz, thank you very much indeed. Head of Political Economy at the Institute of Economic Affairs, willing to take on the lefties who say you can't criticise the NHS because you're a horrible, nasty, ghastly Tory who wants to sell it off to Donald Trump. I mean, they really are pathetic. I mean, Angela Rayner really needs to grow up. She complained about Christian Nimitz's paper on the grounds that it was in some way insulting to the NHS frontline workers. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewellery from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now it's time to say a very, very good morning to Dr. Rakeem Hassan. Rakeem, how are you doing? Doing well, Mike. How are you? Yeah, very well indeed. A bit chilly, but the sun is shining, the sky is blue. So, you know, we could be uh, in a worse place, I'd have to say. Um, you've written, you've been very pr prolific lately. You've been writing yeah, lots and lots of pieces for lots and lots of, uh, of different outlets. Your latest one about the far left influence on uh, some organisations, which have been seen to be rather mainstream almost. I mean, I think you'd, you'd probably agree with me that Extinction Rebellion has kind of wheedled its way into the fabric of our nation somehow. And there's a lot of people that support it who probably have no idea how you know uh, dangerous some of the people uh, behind it are 
Mike, I couldn't agree more with you, uh, which is why uh, I feel that the new independent review, which has been ordered by the Prime Minister uh, Boris Johnson, which is going to explore far left influences associated with the Black Lives Matter movement, Extension Rebellion. I think it's a welcome development, Mike, because the reality of the matter is you you, uh, hear of these social causes. But what I have a problem with is the methods which are being used. Um, in the name of these social causes. And I think far left revolutionary activity within racial identity and environmental movements, it's almost a blind spot. Uh, and I think when it comes to matters of counter extremism, we can't be selective in uh, when it comes to which types of extremism we should be addressing. No, exactly right. Because one of the problems, I think, with both these organisations, Black Lives Matter and Extinction Rebellion, is that a lot of uh, what I would regard as centrist people kind of latch onto them. They think, oh, Extinction Rebellion, they want to save the planet. Mm. That can't be a bad thing. Black Lives Matter wants to promote diversity and they want to help uh, people from ethnic minorities get on better in society. All sounds very nice. But actually, when you look inside the organisations themselves, I mean, the guy that runs Extinction Rebellion is a very um, sort of uh, curious character indeed. Well, I'd say that the thing with uh, the sort of far left revolutionary tendencies within such movements, they they look to hijack social uh, causes which command a great deal of public support in in, in the UK. But the the issue here is that there are unacceptable forms of antisocial behaviour, which I think the mainstream public do have a problem with. So, for example, the extension, uh, Extinction Rebellion, we've seen roadblocks uh, preventing ambulances from gaining access to yeah. particular roads. Uh, we, we've seen that in London. We've also seen Extinction Rebellion block access to newspaper printing sites. Yeah. A, free, a free press is an essential pillar of British liberal democracy. Uh, wh- when it comes to the Black Lives Matter demonstrations uh, back here uh, last summer, uh, under under the summer lockdown, there was a forty percent rise in attacks on London uh, in attacks on London police officers and BLM demonstrations. They fed into those figures. So the the, the issue the issue we have here is that we have social causes which are being hijacked by uh, far left activists who who have undermined uh, respect for the rule of law. And yeah. that's not a sustainable situation for the country. And what we know about many of these people is that they are kind of proper anarchists, aren't they? Sort of, you know, crypto communists who want to do away with society as it currently stands. Um, the Black Lives Matter political movement um, is difficult to kind of identify uh, in terms of who actually runs it, because, of course, they they say things like, oh, we were a collective, you know, there's no head of it, there's nobody running it, there's nobody in charge of it. But we know, for example, there's a woman in Oxford uh, who pops up every now and again, sort of shouting at police officers and, and making statements that uh, that she wants to tear down capitalism and, and reduce the nuclear family and all of this. I interviewed a guy, I think, called Gary McFarlane, uh, who we found to be mm-hmm. part of it, uh, but it turns out that he's not sort of any more important than anybody else inside the movement. So it's quite difficult to identify the head of the snake, as it were. Absolutely. And I think that's why it's important that we have this new uh, independent review, which is going to be led by uh, Lord Warney, hmm. who's better known as the former Labour MP, John Woodcock. Yeah. And I think it, I think an important part of the review is exploring how anti-capitalist, anti-democracy, fringe, hard left groups, uh, such as the Socialist Workers' Party, how they look to infiltrate and colonise, you could say, mainstream uh, centre-left causes. Uh, and by doing so, they undermine those social causes. And I think that should be an important part of the review. I think another part of the review should also explore how hard-left organisations, how they're prone to legitimising and promoting forms of anti-Semitism, Mike. I think yeah. it's worth noting that one of the co-founders of Extinction Rebellion has been previously accused of Holocaust trivialization. So, that, you know, with recent events that we've seen with left-wing politics in the UK, I think that this independent review is most welcome. Indeed. And, I mean, I mentioned at the top of the show as well the uh, uh, the appointment of this panel by Sadiq Khan. I don't know if you had a chance to look at that. Uh, but in terms of some of the individuals that have been chosen to sit and uh, be in judgment, effectively, of a whole uh, selection of different historical statues and possibly even street names in London that might need to be changed. I noticed that one of them uh, was pointed out uh, by Guido the other day, a guy by the name of Toyin Agbetu, 
who was found to have had to be led away from uh, his demonstration, quite violent demonstration against the Queen in Westminster Abbey, where he threatened to punch one of the uh, uh, the people trying to remove him. Well, Mike, the reality of the matter is Sadiq Khan is a failed mayor. Yeah. There's no there's no two ways about it, irrespective of whether he's re-elected or not. He has failed on on a, on, a, on a number of social issues. Mm. And I think this is why this is why the mayor of London he likes to indulge in these pro-diversity initiatives, which will have very little impact uh, on the lives of Londoners. Is because it's an attempt to deflect attention away from his failures as as mayor of London on social issues, which could make a genuine impact on the life satisfaction of the people who live in the capital. Mm. That's right. Um, But unfortunately, he does tend to get sort of traction with this stuff, doesn't he? Because presumably uh, all of these people, if they're not being paid, which I'm not sure whether they are, will be getting expenses for what they do, no doubt. They'll get some kind of remuneration, you know. And it's something that nobody, as far as I know, apart from the extreme left, are even asking for. Absolutely, Mike. I think the reality the reality of the matter is the mayor is very good at wasting money. There's no two ways about it. I think that during his time as mayor, he's increased his own PR budget. Uh, and I think this new commission, uh, I think that is, is another example of, you know, it's, it's the fundamental waste of hard-earned taxpayers' money mm. when there are some very serious social issues. For example, you know, the, the, the level of crime in the capital, the problems surrounding the capital's transport system. Mm. These are bread and butter issues that should be prioritised by the Mayor of London. And instead, he's indulging in these pro-diversity initiatives. Uh, He he, he has mastered the art of uh, indulging in virtue signalling initiatives uh, in an attempt to deflect attention away from his embarrassing track record Mm. as the mayor of london yeah i think that's right but tragically unfortunately um he's probably going to be re-elected isn't he i think he's very likely that he's going to be re-elected mike and and that's a shame because what what you want you want a competitive election because then he may in fact take things a bit more seriously i think there's a there's a real complacency that's creeped in because you know the, the mayor of london because he knows in all likelihood he's going to be re-elected he, he, it's, it's, it's his style, his, his, his style of, well, you, you call it leadership, but there hasn't been leadership no. um, from, from Sadiq Khan uh, in his position as, as mayor of London. I think, it's a, I think it's a problem that the election is not going to be more competitive because if it was the case, then maybe he would actually take London politics a bit more seriously. Yeah, absolutely right. And as far as the um, the view that's now taken of Black Lives Matter uh, since it applied for political kind of uh, party status, uh, how does that change their existence and how does it change how they are viewed? Because it, presumably it means that um, a lot of organisations will no longer be able to, say, sponsor them or use their name because they're a political organisation now. Well, I think when we make the point with the Black Lives, uh, Black Lives Matter more generally, there's different layers. So, for example, you have the uh, UK branch, then you have the broader Black Lives Matter social movement. Yeah. What I will say is that the, uh, the Home Secretary uh, today, she, uh, she did an interview where she was very scathing of the movement. She was she was very critical of the nature of the demonstrations. Uh, she also said that she would not she would she's not, not uh, take the, a knee. She's not taking the she knee, take, no. You wouldn't take the knee, no. So I think that more generally, I think people have really cottoned on, cottoned on to the fact that there are elements of the Black Lives Matter social movement that they, they go far beyond the conventional boundaries of racial equality causes. For example, uh, reducing investment in local police forces. Yeah. I mean, that, that's not so much a racial equality issue. I mean, that, that, that would be a fundamental threat to public security yes. in our local communities. Right. But, uh, but yeah, in some uh, parts of America, you know, Democrat-run cities, they've actually got these kind of no-go areas for the police. I think Seattle's got a part of their, uh, their, their set, city centre. Chaz, yeah. And also, I, I think... uh, and also Portland in Oregon. I think, I think, but, but I think the reality of the matter is here in, in in the UK. I think there's there's great discussion to be had on pol- police reform, yeah. how to improve relations between local police forces and and their local communities. But when you talk about reducing investment for local police forces, I mean that 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 is just not that is not a matter of racial equality. Mm. That 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 is a real problem um, from from a security perspective. I think the support for direct action. Uh, the reality of the matter is. 
whatever your thoughts are on, you know, matters of social justice, environmental protection, those grievances need to be articulated within the boundaries of the law. Yes. It needs to be done lawfully. Uh, and all too often we've seen forms of antisocial behaviour, whether it's people who are um, affiliated with the Black Lives Matter movement or Extinction Rebellion, they've indulged in forms of antisocial behaviour, which fundamentally undermine respect for the rule of law. Hmm. Well, when we had Gary McFarlane on, I said to him, you know, where does it end? You know, at what point do you stop demonstrating? And he said, well, it doesn't end. He basically wanted to have a destruction of capitalism, a tearing down of the systems that we operate under. He wanted not only to defund the police, but he wanted to legalise all drugs. And I was like, well, how do you think that's going to work? He then said, oh, well, the drug companies would probably sell the drugs. I'm like, well, I thought you were going to defund the, the, the capitalist system. They seem very confused and, and they're kind of what I would recall, what I would call sort of ideologically unsound individuals. No, they're not the most ideologically coherent of individuals, no, Mike. No. That, that's for sure. Uh, I think the one point I'd make is that, Mike, you know me very well now. I call myself a bit of a sort of old school leftist. I've traditionally voted for the Labour Party. One of the first things I did when I obtained full time employment was join the trade union. Yeah. But these far left revolutionary tendencies, they're dragging down the anti-racist movement and they're dragging down the environmental movement as well, because through their antisocial behaviour uh, and the forms of public disruption they indulge in, they undermine public support for very important social causes. So I made the point that progressive moderates should be especially supportive of government efforts to explore and investigate forms of far left uh, far left activism but all too, all too often i found that the soft left they're about as useful as a chocolate teapot <laughs> when it comes to when it comes to you know b- 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 restraining uh, these forms of far left activism mm. and it's a crying shame because what they do as i said that they do undermine very important social causes relating to racial uh, fairness environmental preservation through their anti-social activities mm. Well, you haven't got much hope, have you, when Sir Keir Starmer, the leader of the Labour Party, and Angela Rayner, the second in command, both have a picture of themselves taken kneeling uh, for Black Lives Matter. Mike, it was a very cringeworthy image. Yeah. Uh, no, I, th- I think that, you know, uh, Sir Keir Starmer, he's fashioned himself as uh, Mr Forensic. But if he had done a little bit of research on the Black Lives Matter UK funding page... You clearly see that, 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 you know, dismantling of British market capitalism, support for direct action, uh, support for the eventual abolition of police forces. You see that this is not this is not some kind of, uh, you know, some kind of sensible anti-racist organisation. It's far deeper than that. There's very there's very clear support for far left revolutionary goals mm. for the, so for them to have that image of the leader and the deputy leader of the labor party taking a knee and expressing solidarity with the black lives matter movement well put it like put it like this might there's there'll be a, quite a, quite a few people in traditional working class communities who used to vote labor who would have seen that image and thought mm, perhaps not for me no exactly right and hopefully people after listening to you, uh, Rakib, will think twice perhaps about sending in many money uh, to help their cause. <laughs> we shall see. Dr. Rakib Hassan, Centre on Radicalisation and Terrorism at the Henry Jackson Society. Thank you very much uh, indeed. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. I'm delighted to say it is that time of the day. We've had the 12.30 news um, and uh, we are here to do some homeschooling because Tom Whipple is with us, Science Editor at the Times, author of Get Ahead uh, in Physics. And today uh, we're going to talk about gravity. Tom, a very good uh, afternoon to you. Welcome. Good afternoon. Hello. Fascinating subject, gravity, isn't it? Because it's going to be one of those that I say to you, um, everybody knows about gravity, don't they? And you're going to give me a whole load of facts about gravity that nobody actually knows. Um, gravity is is I mean it's utterly fascinating. It remains a I mean let's be clear at its fundamental level it remains a complete enigma. It, it is in fact one of the biggest problems in physics mm. um, is that we have two really really good ways of describing the world. One of which is Einstein's um, theory of relativity, and the other one is quantum mechanics. And they completely disagree over gravity. In fact, quantum mechanics doesn't account for gravity at all. It is. Yeah, extremely confusing. It's also probably the most important force in some senses. Um, but the most amazing thing about it is it's really, really weak. So we, we have four 
fundamental forces, they're called. There's the there's electromagnetic, which I think you, you probably sort of understand a bit intuitively. Yes. There's a strong and weak force, which are things that go in inside atoms and hold together, and they're really strong. And then there's gravity, which is just everything that has mass attracts everything else that has mass, but you never notice. You know, you can stand next to a mountain yeah. and you wouldn't notice the gravity of it. But because it all adds together and adds together and adds together, at a big scale, it's the most important force in the universe. It, mm. it describes how all of the planets move. It's why we, we stick on this planet at all. It's, um, you know, it's, it, it's absolutely crucial. And it's relative, is it not, the gravity on this planet to the size of the planet? Because other planets which are bigger have different gravity. Yeah, it's uh, so it's well, I'm, so I talked about Einstein, who's our best understanding of gravity, but you can get you can get a long way with Newton. Yes. Um, and so Newton said the force between two objects, the gravitational force, you multiply the mass of one object. So that the Earth, which is big, <laughs> big mass <laughs> right. uh, by me, um, which is smaller mass, say, you know, uh, 100 kilos or whatever. Um, and then you divide it. Um, by the radius, the distance between them squared. Um, so the distance of me to the centre of the Earth, which is where we assume it's, it's working from, I think it's about 6,000 kilometres. Um, and that tells you how much. So and basically what it means is, yeah, the, the, the further things are apart, the less effect, um, which is why the moon, which is tiny, has more effect on our tides than the sun, which is absolutely massive. Mm. And that's because the radius is squared. So the further away you are, it just drops off rapidly. Um, but yeah, the, the bigger you are, the more your mass is, is uh, joining together in force, the bigger the force of gravity is going to be. So which, is, on... which I presume proves the, uh, the old holiday with the children scenario. When you go down the water slide, uh, you go a lot quicker than they do. <laughs> well, <that laughs> Terrifyingly is, yeah, yeah. so in my case. I, I never know where these questions are going to come from, but you're <laughs> right. That's because, um, you, so if, if you fall, if you, if you were chucked off, uh, a cliff next to your child yeah you would both go splat on the ground at the same time but if you're on a water slide you wouldn't because you've got more force against the friction of mm. the water slide right. um your larger posterior has has more ways of overcoming <laughs> the friction caused by the water slide right. which is why you will go down faster than your your more live children right although of course if you were on a cliff edge and you threw off a ball and a feather at the same time they would not fall at the same pace no, no, they wouldn't. But if you were on the moon, they would. Mm. The reason the reason the feather falls slower is because it hits something called terminal velocity very, very rapidly. Um, for most of the time, you can ignore terminal velocity. But if you're a feather, you're very light. Um, as the feather goes faster through the air, the force of the air upwards uh, increases in what's called quadraticity. Mm by the square so the faster it goes eventually it reaches a stage where the air it's going through is pushing up as much as the gravity is pushing down and it stops accelerating okay. for humans you hit that at about 120 miles an hour for a feather you hit it very very rapidly and on the moon which some people think doesn't have any gravity that's not true is it it does have some it just doesn't have as much yeah it doesn't have as much so um, I, I can't quite remember the the relative size but i I, th I think it's about a sixth as much gravity as us um and you know that's enough to cause sixty percent of the tides in of the tides in our oceans. So that is extraordinary. Talking of oceans, actually, here's one for you. Um, what happens to gravity in the sea? Because things can float on it, but they can also sink in it, can't they? They can. Um, so uh, floating is something that you think you understand until you till you try to understand it, and then you realise. As with all of these things, there's lots of profound questions. Yes. But basically, if, if I am if I am less dense than water if i'm say a balloon or indeed me mm. i'm just about less dense than water then the water pushes up on you um and the gravity pulls down and the the, the sort of the sum of those forces means that you float up if you're more dense then uh, the water still pushes up the gravity still pushes down but the, the pull of the gravity is greater than the push of the water right and that's why that's why you sink or float yes and the rate at which you sink is that related to gravity or, or is it related to mass? That is, so the rate at which you think is, uh, well, it is your mass and your and gravity. So gravity acts on mass and becomes what we call on the Earth weight. Um, and so, yes, it is the force, it is the mass of you times the mass of the Earth divided by the squared radius of, of the distance between the two of you multiplied by an exceptionally small number mm. um but uh yes it, it is your mass that ma makes makes you makes you pull down 
And as far as Newton goes, I mean, he's kind of credited with, I suppose, I'm not sure if discovering gravity is, is the right word, because, I mean, I'm not sure that he discovered it exactly. But, I mean, he's, he's sort of credited with explaining it, I suppose. Yeah, he thought about it. It was something we just all accepted, obviously, you yeah. pulled down. But why you pulled down? Um, he, whether he saw the apple or not doesn't particularly uh, matter. He was the one who came up with this equation. And this equation is amazing. It doesn't just explain you know, what gravity does. It explains why the moon orbits us. It explains the motion of planets. Um, it explains so much about, about the world. And that's, that's all down to Newton, a very clever but very odd man. Well, yes. I mean, the greatest thing I've ever read about uh, Newton, I've just read today, about his dog, um, apparently, um, who set fire to a load of his manuscripts, 20 years worth, um, and he forgave him. Yes, yeah, I mean, look, he, <laughs> he was apparently quite forgiving for his dogs. He wasn't forgiving for humans. Um, he was very, very cruel to uh, his scientific contemporaries. Was he? Uh, there was one, he had a vendetta against a, this poor scientist called Hook, which is why we have no pictures of Hook. Really? New got rid of all of them Brilliant. when he published his work he deliberately made it overly complicated because he didn't want stupid people reading it and understanding it so right. he, the greatest scientific work ever published is probably his principia mathematica he deliberately made it really hard to understand then made the royal society publish it and the royal society had just failed they just published something called a history of fishes which they thought was going to be a blockbuster mm. and they got loads they got thousands of remainder com copies so many copies they had to pay people in books about the history <laughs> of fishes and then newton came along with the finest scientific achievement by a human being to that date but he deliberately honestly the whole thing could be I, i've done work the whole thing could be described on a single piece of paper but he decided to make 500 of them <laughs> and he refused to let them do anything to make it comprehensible but you know the, it, it sounds, it sounds like a modern day twitter troll or an ancient <laughs> former of, you know somebody who just winds people up finally um and this is not perhaps gravity related but when you see um planes taking off and you see uh, cars and racing cars in particular with those um you know sort of foils on the back of them to stop them from being raised up what's that what's the relation of of, of that to gravity so aerofoils are, again, something that everyone thinks they understand, but are, are, I, I did a whole year at university trying to understand them. Um, they are. Did you so, get to drive around a lot of Porsche 911s? Because that's, <laughs> that's where I always see them. Alas, that, that's not what they, they treat mathematics courses. <laughs> um, no, I, I, sat, I sat in a hot room around people with lots of body odour. <laughs> uh, Those were the days. <laughs> the aerofoil effect, if you have something curved like that and the air goes faster over the top of it, that pulls it up because it creates a change in pressure. And that's the classic way of explaining how an aeroplane wind works. Yeah. Um, but I will leave you with a thought. If it needs to be curved, like that classic curved sort of cross-sectional shape, how is it that paper aeroplanes, which are flat in both directions, fly? Um, and uh, there, there is a slightly more complicated answer to that, but, but actually the aerofoil effect that everyone thinks they know, which is how planes take off, is only a small part mm. of Well, maybe we need to get you back another time, Tom, to explain the, uh, the, the flying of capabilities of, of the paper aeroplane. That would be uh, fascinating. Tom, as ever, brilliant. Thank you very much indeed. Tom Whipple, uh, the man that can explain anything to anyone. Science editor at The Times, author of Get Ahead in Physics, fantastic homeschooling if you had your kids listening to that uh, they will now be experts on gravity and indeed newton's dog who was apparently called diamond imagine that your dog i mean my dog's done some pretty stupid things he hasn't managed to burn any manuscripts yet but uh, there's always time he ate the uh, the nose out of the snowman the other day though that got him into a bit of trouble the independent republic of mike graham on talk radio it is now coming up to 12:49 and a bit it's Friday, and it's time for this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Perrier Awards. It's such a happy sound, isn't it? Full compliance, I'm glad to say, in the uh, room behind us. Yeah, and I didn't even have to bully them this you week. You didn't? Excellent. No, That's I think good. the message is getting through. I think finally. Finally. Also, Ian Collins just walked past the window and he waved at me. I Did guess he? he must have thought that I was waving at him, yes, which that's, uh, that's... was not what I was doing. No. But hey, ho. But listen, I, not many people wave at him, so, no, you know, no. he, he takes it where he can. Bless him. 
Welcome, yeah. anyway. Well, welcome and good afternoon and welcome again to the Peru Rewards. This is where we look back over the past week of the so-called, so-called. Independent Republic of Mike Graham mm. on Talk Radio and choose our favourite moments. As it's tradition, Mike, yes. the first Peru goes to you. Thank you. And it's the Mathematician of the Week. We've got 800,000 fewer people on payrolls than we had a year earlier. So that's 800,000. 800,000. Know. See, that's nearly a million people, isn't it? <laughs> It is nearly a million. I am pleased to say that we fact-checked this. Did you? Twice. Yes, thank you. And 800,000 is nearly a million people. <laughs> yeah, it's about 200,000 short by my reckoning. Yes, yes, we looked at that as well yes. and it's also true. Also true. So, well done. Excellent. So, people say we don't fact-check this show. There you go, there's we the do. evidence. We do. You know what this is? Is all the homeschoolings on maths we've yes, been doing lately. They're starting to get through. They are. So, well done, I wanted everyone. to show off because I've learned so much this week about <laughs> algebra. You have, indeed, yeah. you have. Uh, caller Ian in Cambridge mm. wins the class wrong namer of the week. Well, it was what you were saying earlier, you know, with Mick, Nick Hancock. <laughs> Mick Hancock. It's not I mean, a bad I've one. heard some. I haven't heard that one. Well, no, I, I bet he's been called worse as he well. Has, so definitely. I think he'll be pleased with that. Mick. That's great, Mick. isn't it? It's, it's funny, isn't it? If his name was Mick, people wouldn't take him so seriously. Mm. Mick. Do you think? Yeah, Mick. I think it's one of those names that people Mickey. don't take seriously. Mickey. Mickey, for example. Yeah, for example. Yeah, that's not. Mickey, Mickey. Hancock. Mickey Hancock. No. Nah, nah, no, I don't think so. Right. Um, anyway, uh, Ian, don't beat yourself up. These things happen. Yes. It's understandable so much so mm. that uh, even Boris Johnson is not exempt from this sort of mistakes. This is what happened on Wednesday during Prime Minister's questions. Some people have said this is a good crisis. Some people have said, some people have said uh, that this crisis is a gift that keeps on giving, Mr. Crisis, uh, Mr. Speaker. <laughs> Thereby completely ruining his own joke. Yes. Because he was trying to have a go at Lord Falconer, wasn't he? He Our was, yes. Charlie, he was. Who did say that to a group of lawyers. But then he called the Speaker Mr. Crisis. Yes. Brilliant. But, you know... <laughs> Laugh, These things happen. It? Well, These things happen. we've had quite a few laughs this week, despite all the doom and gloom. Yes, we have. We have well, very much needed these yes, days, absolutely. I would say. And from a confused Prime Minister, we move on to the confused listener of the week. Dino says, going forward, it's imperative Donald McLeod gives us some of his superb impressions on each chit-chat. I was gutted I didn't hear any today. That's his brother. <laughs> Who's going to be on later in the week? Lewis McLeod. He's the one that does the impressions. Donald's the one uh, that does the nightclubbing uh, and the column writing and all of that. Yeah, and a few other things as well. And Donald wasn't happy I said that because wasn't uh, he? he said you didn't have to point that out. He wanted to bask in his brother's glory, I think. Well, maybe maybe he needs to come on and do some impressions yeah, as maybe. well. Yeah, he probably does. He, he probably can. Yeah. You know, probably runs in the family, it a does. talent. So, yeah, you it know. does. He's a he's very, very good uh, singer and guitar player, actually. Oh, is it? Yeah. Well, There's an excellent version uh... of Stairway to Heaven. Oh, yeah. With different lyrics. Oh. Not for the faint hearted. Oh, no. Yeah. Not suitable for broadcasting. No, I'm afraid not. Oh, well, then. Never, Never mind. mind, then. <laughs> <laughs> it's time now for the visual parent oh, yes. award of the week. This, this is, is a, a new, new thing, isn't this it? This is a new thing. This is the second time that we're doing it, and we're going to try and do it every week. Um, sometimes it'll be something that even if you're not watching on YouTube, you'll be able to get at home. Uh, this is not one of those times. Uh, <laughs> if you. <laughs> you're not watching we'll have Sorry. to explain to you what's happening but you can go back and watch it later so it's absolutely fine okay anyway this time uh it's for dr lawrence Gerlis and the surprise intruder of the week i don't i'm not sure if this is gonna be one of those policies that gets talked about but never actually done well i'm, I'm utterly confused by this travel thing i'm waiting for the announcement which will come in about 15 minutes i'm not sure i want to see people two oh, days after they've arrived from certain countries. No. So presumably no. that's a postal test, number one. Ah, <laughs> oh, there it is again. I'm simply wondering about its background. Not only once, but twice. That's amazing. That's great. Yeah. That happens a lot. It does. It happens very often. It does. And so far we've been kind enough not to point it out, but uh, the tide has changed. Well, I guess it's because it's a surgery situation, is it? I guess so. Although it looked like he was at home. I'm not sure. I don't know. Anyway, we'll never know. No. But Who is that woman? Yeah. To mystery, well, the mystery intruder we'll of the week. to ask him. Uh, yeah, we'll find out. Maybe he um, doesn't know she's there. <laughs> do you think he might be a ghost? Well, listen, we'd have to call somebody in for that, wouldn't we? Well, One of yeah. those ghost hunters. I'll get that sorted. Okay. Worry not. Uh, earlier we had heard about uh, Lewis MacLeod. Mm. This week he wins a peria for his impression of the one and only Jeremy Vine. Well, that's what you're doing. If you're going out on your bike, please, there's songs aplenty. Don't go stealing my bike. I mean, wonderful. <laughs> Jolene, please don't steal my bike. It's do take care. Try if you must. If you've got stabilizers, use an old polythene bag, but please stay indoors. 
Here's Snow Patrol. I love it. It's very it's good. really good. You isn't think it, it was him? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. If you know, if you don't see the video, mm. it's a uh, very believable. Not like a uh, someone who used to work here used to do an impression of Jeremy Vine. Oh yes. It was not good. No. It, it sounded like Josh Widdicombe. <laughs> <laughs> so, that is a good and uh, finally, yes. uh, we end with archaeologist and friend of the show, Neil Oliver, mm. for channeling the mood of the nation. Because the real people of this country want to open the economy, 84% of them. Keep voting, please, on my Twitter poll. Let's talk to Neil Oliver, uh, archaeologist, TV presenter, man of the people. Neil, very good morning to you. Oh, mate, someone bring a hammer and Neil, this coffin <laughs> shut. <laughs> I didn't know he'd killed anyone, to be honest. Gosh. That's a joke, by the way. No, no, of course. Of course he hasn't he killed anyone. He was meaning for himself. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so that's how we all feel sometimes, Yeah, isn't I it? know. I think we've all gone through the 10 stages of madness, or however many there are. There's probably the more than year. 10 and more. Yeah, but I think <laughs> we've all gone through them. But we're all at one of the stages at any given time. Yes. It's quite strange, Sometimes, like, during the same day. Yes. Anyway. That can happen. Thank you. Thank, no, thank you. And thank you. And thank you to everyone at home. And thank you to the people who have also been tweeting, saying that they don't want me here. Who are they? <laughs> Some people. We're not having that. We're not having that. No, um, I'm going to hunt you down, <laughs> find out who you are, and ban you from listening. Yeah, why not? There you go. I'm watching. How about that? Um, anyway, that's all for the Predator Awards. There'll be more, perhaps, next week. The Perrier Awards on Talk Radio. Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB, online, or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.